Welcome to the Call to Action Podcast, where we bring you incredible people and even more incredible stories with discussions and topics about what it takes to sacrifice everything to overcome hardships and failures to achieve success. Our guests heard the call. Now it's your turn. Um, so I felt like it, it, I felt like I was the, the person to tell this story, that I knew his, Ken Wilber's work um, on a deep uh, level and that I was able to articulate the story in a way that I felt I was called to do it, that it was my duty and that it was worth dying for, that it was more important, much more important than me, um, that I could carry this torch. Today's episode is brought to you by Squadcast. The Squadcast platform connects podcast hosts and guests to record the best quality audio from anywhere. All other platforms rely on Wi-Fi for audio, and there's nothing worse than when you're in the middle of a great conversation, things are flowing, but the audio feed instantly freezes, or worse, transforms your voice into a chipmunk. It's not ideal for virtual recordings, and that's why Squadcast was built. The platform utilizes your device's hardware while recording for the most pure, uninterrupted audio quality throughout the whole conversation. It is not reliant on Wi-Fi, so even if the video cuts out, you can be sure your audio is going to be perfect in post-production. And it's simple to use. Just show up, hit record. No installs, plugins, or extensions. Boom! Quality matters to everyone, so get your Squadcast 7-day free trial at squadcast.fm. That is S-Q-U-A-D-C-A-S-T dot F-M and record remote podcasts that your listeners will love, like you, our C-Tappers. Our next guest is a British-American director, actor, author, and dexterous artist of many talents. You may have seen his roles on ABC's Quantico, Hawaii Five-0, The Haves and Have-Nots, CSI Miami, and Family Guy, just to name a few. In addition, he is an outstanding athlete, appearing in over 100 magazine covers, ranging from Men's Fitness, Iron Man, and Fitness RX. His pecs of steel and washboard abs have been plastered all over Times Square. He is also an author and wrote The Consciousness Revolution, Meditations for a New World, and is available currently on Amazon in German and soon to be in English. This man is also trailblazing the world of conscious meditation, where he guides live lucid dreaming meditation sessions in beautiful locations all over Los Angeles. Finally, he is currently preparing for a much-anticipated release of his latest feature film that he wrote, produced, and directed called Grace and Grit, based on Ken Wilber's acclaimed book. Buddhist monks seek meditation advice from him, he wrestles sharks for fun, and the cast of the 300 movie aspired to look like this man's Greek god of a body. He is one of the most diverse men you'll ever get to know, and my dear friend, please welcome our next guest to the show, Sebastian Siegel. It's such a pleasure to be here. I love what you guys are doing. Bro, it is so good to have you on here finally, my man. So before we jump into today's topics and discussions, uh, we got you here for a little bit short time today, but we'll definitely be getting you on for round two, maybe even three. We put our guests through a thing we call the brain freeze frenzy. It's a wild array of random questions fired off rapid style. Are you ready? Ready. What's one positive thing you can say about yourself today? 
resilient. Okay, tell us about your morning routine. I drink a lot of water first thing in the morning, every day, no matter what. Uh, Then I'll usually do something alkaline, like uh, uh, apple cider vinegar. Um, I always make the bed as soon as I leave the room. Um, uh, Depending on where I am uh, in the world, um, if I'm in Hawaii, I like to do some sort of meditative practice outside before the sun comes up. Uh, and then in California, where I'm based, uh, it depends on what I'm working on. Usually, it maps around that. But I like to do creative, uh, something creative first thing in the morning. Uh, sometimes that that'll kick in even before I wake up. If thoughts are in my mind about something, I'll get out and just sort of free write them out. If I'm in a relationship, if I'm with someone, I love to talk about dreams, share them, listen to them, interpret them. Then I go to the fridge. I get a Colt 45. <laughs> with a wild turkey floater and a 151 chaser and then that gets good then after that hell yeah <laughs> cheers for that one. moving on is there a movie that came out where you thought that definitely did the book justice oh oh in terms of book adaptations wow that's a great yeah. one man um, I don't know if, I mean, in terms of true, in terms of stories, I don't know if, you know, so many different books have been written about it, but I remember as a boy, I must've been eight, nine years old or something when it came out, but JFK blew me away. Uh, you know, the, the, uh, Oliver Stone film, I just thought it, 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 you know, without taking a clear, uh, stance in terms of what happened or what didn't happen, I think that he offered up the possibilities of a numerous, ways that and i think pertinent to the world today that corruption happens not off not always uh, it's not always intended and then carried through when something corrupt happens in business or government mm. but it's from confluence and complicity uh you know so an instability and opportunity meet confluence and complicity you have corruption which is i think you know inevitable in this in this circumstance in this world that we're looking at right now but jfk blew me away as a storyteller i was captivated by who these individuals were and what was going on in the world and, and how people related to that thing personally in terms of how it was affecting their life but also mythically that it was so much bigger than what they were that they thought what's really going on in the world you know what's happening here with me now and this president in our world JFK being at that time, but also what's happening in the world in general, you know, this, this uh, way that it sparked uh, an interest in existential questions. How many books Beautiful. do you read annually? That's a great question. I used to be a voracious reader. Um, as a kid, I did not like reading. I couldn't stand it. And then uh, as, uh, as uh, I started getting into reading as a teen, and, um, and then I became a voracious reader in my 20s. Um, and it was, uh, I leaned towards psychology and philosophy and, 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 and mostly kind of scholarly type of books. Um, now I don't, I don't force, you know, I don't drive through too aggressively like, you know, with, with Count. I don't do books on Audible so much. I don't, I know a lot of people have life hacks like to fast forward them and, and such. And, you know, I think we, we venture into that, but I think there's something interesting going on right now where I feel like the day, the, the age of data collection is over. You know, we're looking at a period where in five or 10 years from now, we're all automatically going to have access to all the information in the world as it happens. You know, that Google will be, you know, or whatever downloads will be real, rightly available. So I try to lean in the opposite direction and I try to read not so much material, but really read it to own it, you know, to really embody it. You know, the books that I have, 
uh, here. A lot of my favorite ones, they're just from top to bottom in notes. And I also, I, I found that there was experiences early on, especially with psychology, where I would read a book and it just rocked me and it affected my worldview so much. And then I would talk to someone else and I'd be like, I read this amazing book and they'd be like, oh yeah, I read that 10 years ago or 20 years ago. And I'd be like, that person didn't understand that book. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm all, I'm sorry not to answer it though, but I'm always reading. I've got a book in the car, a book by the bed, a book in the living room. You know, I always carry a book with me and I do like hard copy. I don't read uh, digital stuff. Usually. Likewise, always love that tactile sense of picking up a book, even the smell of it. What one thing, if you had to pick one now, do you miss most during this pandemic? And what are you loving about it? You know, that's such a great question. Thank you. It's, I love what you guys are doing here. Um, I miss the way that people walk around and enjoy the company of one another without fear. Yes. Now, a lot of people are being even closer and being even warmer, but for the most part, people feel afraid. And that the weight of that across society is awful. I tend to be, I'm a reclusive individual, but I'm outgoing and I really love people. I love dogs. I love animals. I love this world. And I want to connect. You know, the history of being alive and the history of this cosmos is all about connection and interconnectivity. So when I go outside, whether I'm talking to a waiter or valet or a, a partner or a company, I'm always getting eye contact and engaging. And I think people, the thing I miss the most by far is that people really feel, uh, some people afraid. And I understand that fear. I understand it. Um, a lot of it is not justified, um, but I still understand it nevertheless. And it's, and it's an awful thing for them, you know, for their health, but it's also awful for everyone they come into contact with, you know? Yeah. Uh, for me, I, I feel like I don't need to wait for Friday or Hanukkah or Christmas to have fun. I could be like, hey, man, it's Monday morning. What's happening? You know, and yep. I think other people need what the nice thing about Christmas is whether we celebrate it or not, it puts this nice tone in the air in America where people are like, hey, it's Hanukkah, it's Christmas, it's, you know, whatever the thing is. And there's no need to wait for that. But there's also no need to ever back off from that, including in a pandemic, especially in a pandemic. And then if I could put one more button on that, it would be, I know so many people love that movie, uh, um, Life is Beautiful. Um, oh, gosh, yeah. You're going back. Right? The Roberto Benigni movie where he's in a concentration camp with his son. And people say they love it. And it's just like when someone says, I read this book and it affected me. And you think, that person didn't understand that book. <laughs> loves this Roberto Benigni movie, Life is Beautiful. What they're saying is, no matter how horrible the situation is, we need to connect. We need to connect and have fun and connect and find joy and laughter. And I think that's more important than ever. So that's the thing I miss the most. Um, the thing I, 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 that I'm liking about it, I like the, um, I like the challenge that it's bringing about. I, obviously, I like what's going on in nature, you know, the, to hear the, the birds louder than I've ever heard them before in California is a wonderful thing. Um, it sounds almost like I remember, you know, when I lived in Hawaii, the, the sound of the birds there always, it's starting to sound like that mm. to see the clear sky and air is really wonderful. Um, uh, on a deeper level, one of the things that I, I like about it is I like the challenge, right? I like the, uh, terrain that it's requiring me to navigate within my own self, uh, in order to, um, you know, find a sort of mechanism of meaning. Uh, within my own kind of uh, solitude, I live alone. So, you know, I, I you know, that that's a I, I like that challenge, I suppose. 
Love it. If you could go back in time and get drunk or high with anyone in history, who would it be and why? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, I go back ten minutes ago and get drunk and high with you guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's 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 the winner, dude. <laughs> winner, you heard it here on CTAP, guys. <laughs> oh man, kick it off, Keith. Um, yeah, I mean, Carl Jung is such an amazing, you know, Freud is such a, so amazing, and then on the darker side, you know, just these radical minds. Um, Stalin, you know, so horrible in so many ways, but in that time was a, a leader for his country that's receiving a lot of uh, kind of pop iconography that that, you know, that that system appreciates that kind of strong uh, leader. He slaughtered millions of his people. I'm not um, saying that he's a good person, but in terms of saying getting drunk and high with someone uh, is a hypothetical. And I, I, I think getting drunk and high with him would be you know why not <laughs> yeah know? yeah no, right. no, no, a, that's a really get that insight really great perspective so the sensibility of his of his of his worldview interesting next your favorite place that you've traveled i spent a lot of time in hawaii and i did some growing up there and i've seen so many things that have rocked my world and uh, you know whether it's swimming with dolphins or swimming mm. with sharks or standing on the edge of a razor cliff a thousand foot drop on either side or just walking down the street and seeing a stranger and just saying huh and then the person's like huh? like this sort of recognition of this mm. life and this existence in all of us i love hawaii it's really a special place on a lot of levels the smell of flowers and, and in particular islands it sounds like you lived on one I did. I lived for a while on Oahu. My father still lives there. And all the islands, um, I, I care for them very deeply and have a personal experience on all of them. And they're all very different. The further north you go, the more lush, like Kauai. And the further south, the big island is the, the youngest earth. It's about a million years old. Kauai is about five million years old. So that explains the differential in why Kauai is more lush and why the big island is, is, more, uh, is drier for the most part. Um, mm. But uh, they're all just amazing. Most amount of lines you've had to memorize for a scene in a show or a movie? Oh, man. I was in high school, and I did this show called Death Trap. And uh, it's basically – and it was made into a movie with Christopher – oh, my God. It was made into a movie with, with Christopher Reeves. And um, uh, I can't think of – oh, my – he's blanking. I'm the brilliant actor. Anyways, it's basically these two guys for most of the movie. And it, basically the whole thing is in one room. And it's just, I don't know how, how much. It's a ton. And it was a tough one. Yeah, it was a tough one. But it was great. It was great. Lesson. And then I think working on uh, the Haves and Have Nots, uh, Tyler Perry show, which I did uh, two seasons of, uh, season eight uh, is where I start. And it'll be out, I think, in the, next, in the coming weeks. Uh, and he shoots so fast, faster than anyone in history. And so you'll get wow. pages the day before. You can get 10 or 20 pages even a day before. Um, and it's huge pressure wow. for everyone. Yeah. And, um, but the, the, uh, it necessitates really stepping up and beyond the comfort zone and it's, it, the pressure's high, but it's a wonderful challenge. And I'm deeply grateful for that challenge for sure. To go off of a little tangent on that before Keith gets on to the last, we got a last three and then we'll jump into some, some other things, but, um, like, you know, an athlete, you know, you're an athlete yourself as, as, uh, Keith and I both are as well. And, um, what do you have to like, do you have a routine? that you get into when you prepare for these scenes 
I mean, is there, is there a, a, a flow, a, a mental state of flow that you get into or a way that you get there um, to prepare for something like that? So grueling. Mm. I was just reading for something uh, for NCIS the other day. It was a heavy piece and it was uh, a guy's in prison and he was just told in the scene that his father's uh, died and um, he hasn't seen his daughter in 15 years or something like this. Um, and I just drop into it. It's just right there that I'm laughing and mm. having fun before and right after. Like it's instance right after that. It's right there. Um, so I think that the prep happens um, before, right? That the, the under, it's always right below the surface, you know, kind mm. of with a meditative practice, right? Where there used to be, I used to have a super disciplined practice where I'd wake up in the morning and meditate. For, I went through periods sometimes where I was doing two, three hours, four hours, even in a day for many years. And then after a while, it just becomes more, there's more access to these deeper states, right? And just like an athlete might need a certain amount of <clears throat> warm up for something, the dexterity to be able to walk on your hands or, you know, do, you know, any a number of different things, diving deep down in the ocean or something is right there available. So I think, um, yeah, I drop in depending on uh, what the thing is uh, in different ways. But electricity and energy always drives it. Hmm. to find that space inside the cells and just feel that, right? I just felt you do that. I just felt you do that. Yeah. yeah. The easiest way is to always be dropping in and out of it anyways, right? Like the same yeah. thing, I think, where we started off. Why wait till Christmas or Hanukkah, right? That's right. Have it right there anyways, yeah. And we're getting mm. energized through this, you know, even through the corona and the remoteness of, the, of for example, CTAP today, you know, the energy is still alive and we're feeling it. If you could press a pause button, Sebastian, on any of your life's responsibilities for a whole year, what would you spend that time doing and why? This could be bills, relationships. You mean what would I spend the time doing that would that go towards those responsibilities? Instead of, exactly. Yeah, I um, I definitely, the, 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 any of the financial means, any of the personal, any of the responsibilities toward finance. Yeah, honestly. right. <laughs> I, I don't like paperwork. I, I don't like any of it. <laughs> I don't like it. Um, and, um, and, I, and, I, and I choose that because the time that goes into that, uh, I would rather spend um, reading or connecting or learning or challenging myself in a different way that activates more of my body on a cellular level, more of my mind to reach out and expand. Um, I don't, I, I never was interested in amassing wealth and just collecting money and investing. I've never invested in the stock market. Um, uh, I've been very, very fortunate as a storyteller, as, as a filmmaker. Um, I own wonderful homes. I feel very fortunate to live in the home that I live in. Um, but I don't seek, my mission in life is not to amass wealth. It's to use money only as a mechanism, as feet to do more things, right? So if I didn't have to, you know, if I was doing less of the concern around that, uh, I think I'd be more liberated to just push into really the, the, the expression of it. Uh, the expression of the wow. art of the thing that I'm creating. I'm doing. Beautiful. Beautiful. Last so two. <laughs> yeah, man. Yes, Game that's... show. Come on, <laughs> you win. You won. The well, right. This is actually a reality show, and we're gonna do that too. Let's flip the script real quickly. Yeah, between you, two firms. You... <laughs> yeah, that's awesome, man. Just wait till um, we hit eleven. Yeah, exactly. Um, the last two. <laughs> <laughs> if you could call yourself 
10 years ago, what advice would you give yourself? And then secondly, call yourself 10 years in the future. What would you want to ask yourself? 10 years ago, it's always such a good one to say that like, there's no need to worry. Like it's going to be amazing. The things that you think now are impossible. You're going to be doing them beyond what you can even in, in a way that you're going to be. So if you could take a glimpse, you're going to be blown away. Amen. And anyone to hear that also, for anyone to hear that is to, is like, (sighs) it's so, and I feel like that, you know, if I could come back now, 10 years and say myself now, that's so helpful too. So I try to embody that every day. But of course, as we grow, we take on bigger, you know, things that are larger than us, hopefully. And, um, and those, they become intimidating. And sometimes we hold our breath. So I would tell myself that it's going to be gorgeous it's gonna be spectacular um and then the other one was in 10 years from now what was it what would you want to ask yourself 10 years in the future um oh gosh man why'd you get so high and drunk nine and a half years ago (laughs) 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 i mean drive the phantom off the freeway (laughs) why did you yes Yes, you did. (laughs) (laughs) Killing me, man. That's fucking the best answer I've heard ever. (laughs) Hey, that's why you're here today. I would say, I would say, um, where did you meet her? Mm. (laughs) I'd like to know that now. I'd like to know that now. That's beautiful, man. Tell us, for all the listeners here... Who is the most impressive actor that you've worked with? Oof. Yeah, I like so many. There are so many brilliant actors out there. That's such a tough one because they're, I, I like them in so many different ways, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, uh, this film I just finished that I wrote, produced and directed, Grace and Grit, uh, both Mina Subari and Stuart Townsend really just, they, and, terms of your question earlier about memorizing dialogue you know most of the script is between them and it's an enormous amount and, and um but they really went there and they really became these people when you look at the screen you don't think these are these actors being these people just if you, they walked into a room you'd be like people are going to confuse them for those individuals um another one of the actors that's uh in the and all the actors were exceptional uh francis fisher has been a longtime friend of mine and um wow. she's my big name memories and uh, we did the uh, Mary Osmond show together and um, the talk show about my first documentary. We did it. And then uh, she is in Grace and Grid also. And as a director, like watching her as an actress, just the number of movies she shot from Titanic to now she's on that. Um, oh, my God. What's it called? I'm not sure. It's a really popular show out right now. Um, but she's so incredible to see the things that are effortless for her. Um, like for instance, there was a scene where she had like, uh, makeup had put this sort of lipstick on her and then, uh, she kissed, uh, Mina who plays her daughter in the movie on the forehead, you know, and then, uh, it was still on the lipstick was still there and she worked it into the scene, you know, just, but without thinking about it, you know, she just licked her hands and like wiped it off Mina's forehead and it came across as such a tender thing that a mother would do for a daughter. And I, I thought, wow, it's like this, this is a master at work. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, other than that, I mean, um, you know, Tyler Perry is amazing in a way that he's just the most, if not one of the most prolific writer, producer, director, actor in history. <laughs> he's just done so much stuff. 
and to see the effortlessness, what looks effortless when he does it is, is pretty amazing. And he always gets, uh, you know, his audience loves him for that. They feel his sort of, the way he's able to do kind of comedy and mass material is pretty impressive. Um, <clears throat> and drama, you know, do both. Um, Gerard Butler is an amazing actor. Um, you know, he's extraordinary you know, on so many, on so many, on so many levels. Um, oh, wow. um, yeah, they're, 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 you know, so those are all great. They're all incredible. Transitioning right into that, you know, one thing I've been really looking forward to, and Keith and I have both watched Grace and Grit's trailer, and uh, man, I have to say, and this isn't just because you're my boy and, and I, I love you to death, man, you guys absolutely made me feel something special. Just in the two-minute, 50-second trailer that's there, it is incredibly powerful keith and i were both just blown away that doesn't happen a lot and it's we're very excited to see this movie has what's been going on you know with this pandemic has that caused any issues with like the release date or what's the kind of current situation right now with uh, and when can our listeners uh you know be expecting to to possibly see this beautiful piece that you created Thanks so much about that, about the teaser. I think that if people um, like the teaser, they will like the movie. Um, and it's searchable everywhere, just Grace and Grant movie. It's all over the place. Um, we'll link it in the show notes as well. And, oh, very excellent. And um, it, uh, because of uh, this pandemic and the theaters closing, uh, it's changed a, a number of different things with movies. Obviously, there's going to be a delay on so many movies being released. And the positive thing as a filmmaker is that the demand for streaming has gone way up. Uh, the challenge in a, in a sort of short term is that you have these giant studios that have big, let's say, $100, $200 million movies that didn't hit their release dates. And when a studio looks at that as a business, they might look at, look, we're expediting, let's say, a billion dollars over the course of the next 12 months. And they have these targeted releases. Well, if they miss two or three or one or two, they have to stack them now, right? And then they have to plan the following year or quarter, et cetera. And that's all been postponed. So you're going to have all these things compressed into a shorter period, right? Movies competing with one another on streaming. Now, people have a lot more eyeballs now. Sorry. You good. Sorry. I don't know how to. I'm still learning. Uh, <laughs> You're good, I can make a movie, you know, but I don't know how to watch one or use a computer. <laughs> you know? um, yeah, it's a true story. You know, I went over when we finally, when I, we got the director's cut, I went over to watch it at my producing partner's house, and uh, we had my computer. And we were going to watch it on his big screen, and we plugged it all in, and his wife wasn't there to do it for us, so we ended. We couldn't figure it out, right? We only had a little bit of time. <laughs> We ended up watching the movie on my computer with the audio from his big screen. <laughs> we were like, <laughs> 20 movie, big movies, That's you know? hilarious. And all these people. And yeah. Um, so that being said, you know, a lot of these movies, uh, their concern is that these big movies, like these $100, 200000000 million movies, they're cannibalizing uh, one another's audiences because they're going to be released in such a, a short uh, period. Now, that being said, this is not obviously a competitor with that. This is a, a more of an art house uh, heavy drama. It's a true story adapted from a book. It's uh, largely a female audience. Um, it's a story mm -hmm. about transcendent love and selfless love. It's a very romantic movie, but it's a heavy drama. It's a cry your eyes out uh, film. Um, it, it has a global audience. Um, the book has a global audience, uh, you know. So in terms of that, um, 
we will release sooner than, than later. In other words, we're in the running at the Cannes Film Festival, but we won't wait for that. We're going yeah. to, now we're assertively trying to marry with the, we're exploring marrying with just the right distributor that will give it the, the, the <clears throat> release that it, that it needs, the availability that it needs. The audience is, is sort of built into this film in a lot of ways, and it's going to find its, its audience. Um, one of the cool things about this film is that this author, from many of the most influential people in the world, is uh, one of the greatest thinkers in history, right? From, you know, and people, conservative and liberal presidents and global leaders will say that about Ken Wilber, as will people in, in sort of consciousness and spirituality from Anthony Robbins to Deepak uh, Chopra to Marianne Williamson to Gene Houston, et cetera, as is will people in popular culture from Melissa mm -hmm. Etheridge to uh, the Wachowskis who made The Matrix to uh, John Mackey who sold Whole Foods to Amazon. He flew out and watched the movie with me. Um, you know, he laughed, he cried, he, he thought it was, he called it brilliant. Um, so I think that there is a, in, uh, in other words, i.e., uh, where most movies come out and then they kind of trail off. This movie is going to come out, it'll be received by its core audience, and then it's going to climb with interest in the author and also with the visibility as people become affected by this author. Um, I was deeply impacted by this author's work, and I think that when people read his work, Ken Wilber, that they have that kind of impact, and when they do, they're going to look online for his other books, and they're going to see this film, and it's the most accessible introduction uh, into his work. And the kind of artistic Hot. Edit, editing and directing that is visible from this teaser is, I mean, it just, it blew me away. How did you decide to dedicate years of your life and choose this film to write, direct, and produce? You know, why, why this message behind this story? Why is it so important? And, you know, maybe be able to tie it in, especially right now in this time. You know, I've written, produced, and directed a lot of, uh, a lot of material and each Thing has been pertinent to whatever I was, you know, had some sort of personal aspect for me, right? Even if it's just trying to stretch my skill set as a director, um, there was a, a teaser that I, a trailer that I did for the Euro Cinema Hawaii, the Hawaii European Film Festival, uh, part of Hawaii Film Festival, which has been 36 years, I think, going, 200 movies over 10 days. It's amazing. It's on, it's in Hawaii. It's on wow. Every year, it's such a great festival. And um, I did a, a trailer for them, and for 90 seconds or two minutes, uh, the objective was get people to go see these acclaimed European movies. So marry European movies with Hawaii. So I did this sort of James Bond theme, which was the most accessible European franchise, you know, on the ocean in, in Hawaii, and made it sort of this. <laughs> that, that's sweet. And it's comical, right? Um, I wrote, produced, directed it, and, and am in it, and um, for – under two minutes, we shot on a yacht, Zodiac helicopter, and underwater. <laughs> and sweet. We couldn't do, uh, you know, you couldn't do drones that far out. So we shot from a helicopter. And I read books on it before, and all the books were saying, do not shoot in a helicopter, do not shoot underwater, do not shoot on a boat for a number of different reasons. And I thought, okay, this is going to stretch me as a director and as a producer, and I want to do all those things. Because it, once I do it, it'll be, and now that, I, and it was hard, but once I did it, now I know I can, you know, I'd, I would like to do, a, a, I mean, my favorite franchise is the, is the 007 franchise. And that's the, you know, for me as a, as a British boy, I've always loved those movies. I've seen them all. It's the, it's the films I would most like to direct in terms of that genre. Uh, and so mm -hmm. I think early on intuitively, I felt like, you know, writing, producing and directing something that required this sort of 
big scope uh, spoke to me. In terms of this film, uh, it chose me, really. You know, I read the authors, you know, 20 of his other books, and they rocked my world. They were just so amazing and extraordinary and complex and dynamic and brilliant. And this is Ken Wilber, obviously. Um, and then this book is the one book, and he's reclusive. You know, he's very, uh, you know, he's, he, he's not out, he's not around. You know, he's very, he's never gone on talk shows. He's always been very reclusive since he was in his early, his whole life. So... Uh, this is the one book that is really a glimpse into the most catalytic period in his life over the course of five years. And it's this epic love story. And I think when I read the book, I was working on a movie in Atlanta as an actor. And I, I put the book down and I, something had hit me and I didn't know what it was. Um, I, again, I cried, but I was also uplifted and I was full of hope. And I was, it was an interesting feeling to feel sad like in Titanic or The Notebook or Romeo and Juliet or love story or whatever but there's this sense of eternal life and eternal love and that was woven into it in other words there's this sense of selfless love of transcendent love uh, that's written into the fabric of life that was so well expressed in this book that I thought man this would make an amazing movie and, um, mm. and and I didn't want to adapt it or direct it first. I was just blown away, and I can you know. And then subsequently, it developed into, well, okay, now I'm writing and producing and directing this. <laughs> 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 you know. Wow. So, so it chose me, I think. But it chose me at the time where I was prepared to, you know, bear the torch, carry the torch. Yeah, it's a big and and I. I and that's an interesting term, right? You know, people will say, well, you bear your cross or you bear the whatever the thing is, right? The burden. And it only it only shows up at that moment, right? It only shows up at that yeah. moment that we're ready to have kids or even have a pet or have a home or take on a certain job or climb Mount Everest or run a marathon or whatever, fall in love or get married, whatever the thing is, right? We It shows up when we're almost ready, but not quite, right? It's like being president, you know, of the United States or of a company or of another nation. No one's qualified. No one. You know, and then you get in the job. You're only qualified once you've done it. You know, if you're reaching high enough. If you're overqualified, you shouldn't be doing it. Right? Um, so I felt like it, it I felt like I was the, the person to tell this story. That I knew his, Ken Wilber's work um, on a deep uh, level. And that I was able to articulate the story in a way that I felt I was called to do it. That it was my duty and that it was worth dying for. That it was more important, much more important than me. Um, that I could carry this torch. So, I, I, you know, I went into this party, at, uh, not party, but a, a, a think tank at uh, Lynn and Norman Lear's house, who were uh, wonderful. Um, Norman Lear being, you know, the prolific TV uh, uh, guy. And um, they've become friends. And I've been to many wonderful discussions at their home over the years. And I was there, I don't know, six years ago at something uh, uh, for, for something on um, uh, the environment. And I started talking with this woman and she teaches yoga uh, and her and her husband. And um, somehow Ken Wilber's name came up and we we're talking about books and consciousness. And then I said, oh, you know, did you read Grace and Grit? And she said, yeah, I read the book. It was just, it blew me away. And I said, I said, I'm actually, I'm making it into a movie. And her reaction was, she went like this and she went, how does it feel to carry that burden, like that torch? Like that's a lot to carry. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I, you know, I, 
I, in one way I was, you know, but in another way, it was so beautiful what she said, because I, I felt like, all right, you know, it's my turn. You know, when you're a kid and you're uh, going with a bunch of friends and it's like your turn to jump off the boat or the diving board or into the pool or whatever the thing is. And then you're like, yeah, yeah. And then all of a sudden you get there and there's this, right, that I was arriving at that moment where it was like, all right, you know, with anything new where you have this excitement, it's not intimidation, but it's just excitement, you know, and that excitement is so important to stay alive, to keep doing things that challenge us enough that we have to grow into greater aspects of ourselves. Um, so sorry for the long answer on that one, but no, uh, no, man, this is amazing. That movie, the torch. that movie called me and, um, and it, and it, 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 it basically told me that I was going to, to tell the story. So, and for all our listeners, go do yourself a favor, check out this, teaser it is incredible the directing the editing the cutting it's very artistically done you really get all this emotion that's being spoken about you can really feel it and it's and it's just you know again a very brief kind of kind of sizzle two minutes it'll have you crying laughing and, and you really see how deep this story goes do you see do you see a parallel what's going on it seemed from the trailer i have not read the book yet um and i'm i'm looking forward to doing so um but do you from the from the trailer and what you've and i have had discussions about do you kind of see a parallel going on with the main character being confronted with this situation in life that she didn't ask for but that they have to go down this journey do you see that story being so relevant to today what's going on right now and uh you know maybe there's little snippets of wisdom if you will from the story that people can kind of understand and 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 take away from this conversation and maybe you know there's this overwhelming fear right now going on and i can't imagine what this main character was going through um and just being confronted with life and death it was just this, but she's gonna she's gonna go through it and she's gonna do it. And there's no there's there's no hiding, there's no going around it. It's just she's gotta go through this journey. And uh do you do you see there being some massive amount of correlation going on with what we're all dealing with right now? And um and what do you, what are your thoughts on that? Steve. That's beautiful. Yeah. Um Yeah. One of those. Um, I think we can do that socially distanced, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, um, life, uh, touches us on the shoulder, right? It just that moment when we, you know, think we've had enough or we think we're comfortable or whatever the thing is. And, and that's sort of the, that's, I, I think, written into the fabric of this labyrinth and that maybe, you know, uh, we, intuitively reach for that you know right before we come in perhaps yeah it's like you get really comfortable in the womb and you're like oh it's so it's good it's warm and you know it's nice in here and then all of a sudden like stuff starts shaking and the next thing you know there's bright and then you know ah, and you're like breathing and like people are touching you and like it's scary and like it's overwhelming you know and i think that um you know there's also in the same way that we swallow or sign our name or we beat our own heart, you know, that it's both voluntary and involuntary. And I feel like there's an intuitive uh, connection with uh, how we develop as individuals in terms of what we take on. And perhaps in the collective consciousness, we have taken this thing on out of necessity, right? There's 8 billion people in the world. It's just, it's just, 
we can't, the world can't handle 8 billion people um, acting the way that for the most part we're acting, right? So it requires a stage of evolution, you know, and, and every new stage of evolution um, is painful and then uh, always brings about enormous beauty and then enormous new challenges. And it's wonderful and romantic to be alive at this point in history and time to be part of the going through, to have a say, you know, we all have a say now. And it even dovetails back into what we started out talking about, about, you know, people being afraid of one another. Like, that's the worst. Like, come on, man. we can't yeah. go back. We can't go backwards. You know, we went through that, you know, whether it was right. race or color or not race, but, you know, uh, you know, whether it was ethnicity or color, it's like, we can't go backwards. You know, I mean, we got to go forward. It's like, we really are in this together now, you know. I mean, we've, we've you know, it, it, and it's crazy to see people, uh, I think, you know, when we're in times of crisis, and to relate to specifically the question about, you know, the, these two individuals in the film are faced with this challenge and they have to overcome it and they don't have a choice. You know, they don't want to do it. It sounds horrible. Who wants to go through a challenge, right? And yet they have to do it. And it's like, well, that's where we're all at right now. And you see a lot of people are embracing it. You know, what you guys are doing, the kind of existential um you know content that you guys are putting out there to get people to have fun but also think you know and demand more of ourselves and you see a lot of people are panicking they're saying i'm not ready <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? like can't wait till it goes back to normal i'm gonna go <laughs> to switzerland and i'm gonna go snow skiing and like okay great you'll get to do that but there's something bigger going on here you know it's not just about getting back to normal um so I love the question, and it's it's funny, you know, as you're as someone um, you know who's your friend and has great admiration and respect for the way that you conduct your life um, on all levels. You know, it's like I remember, you know, when you got married. It's like there's this sort of thing, and you realize, oh my God, I'm ready. I'm the one. Like I'm the one who's going to marry this woman and take care of her and love her for the rest of her life. And like it's it's, it's exciting and it's scary and it's beautiful. And I'm doing it. I'm in. You know. And it's like we I, I think collectively have to get to that point in this pandemic. And I think that the act three mm. in this movie is when they get to that point. You know, at first they're like, they're madly in love. And then there's this challenge, right? And then they're like in denial about, well, let's just fix it. And then they realize, well, all right, you can't just fix it, right? And then it kind of rips them apart. That causes a, a friction. But in that friction, mm. they both grow and deepen and expand. And then they hit this point, well, you know what? Maybe we don't have to fix it. Maybe there's another way. Maybe there's a way to ride this thing forward and give everything we have without attachment to the result, without having to make it my way. You know, maybe we just make it the best way. Maybe I don't know what the best way is. Maybe we just collectively do it together and let's see what kind of cake we bake. You know, and then it's always fun. You know, if it's fun, it's going to taste good. It's going to be good. Right? Yeah, it's man. It's going to be deep. It's going to be transformative. So, um, I, and I do think that. And I think also the job of a storyteller in, in movies or a certain type of music and movies and poetry and books is to do that, is to write a new myth for the modern times. And I think that what I was trying to articulate with this movie is ultimately a myth for modern times, a new myth. You know, what mm. is selfless love? What is transcendent love? And why does it feel so good? And why do we want it so much, even if it hurts so bad? Yeah. Gosh, we can't wait to check this out. I mean, Thank you. It's beautiful, man. Uh, we wish it was some kind of an earlier release, and you know, for our listeners here, that we could give them some sort of a preview beyond what's already uploaded to the internet. Go check this out. This kind of reminds me. It also parallels. I don't know if you guys have read the book, uh, "The Gates of Fire." It's uh, the Battle of Thermopylae. 
It's that slim mountain pass in northern Greece where the famous, you know, the movie 300 was based about. Where oh, this sounds like Ben Gordon. Yeah, I'm big into the, I'm big into drawing these parallels, man. This is it just kind of hit me and it's like, you know, this this famous battle of these 300 Spartans even though it was a, you know, for them it was a suicide mission, but they were going up a very, you know, against a very superior and numerically superior force of this Persian empire, this this huge massive force against them and they had to do this they had to meet them at this pass and it was the only only advantage they had and so they they drew them in to this little pass and there was only one way in and one way out and i think right now what's going on and happening to people is that in a way how these spartans had to face this force, people today are having to kind of confront themselves in this virus, in this in this pandemic head on. And there's like I was stating before, there's no going around each other. There's no going, you know, underneath this problem. And you have to face yourself. And I think a lot of people are having this problem right now where, you know, the divorce rates are skyrocketing and then the mental illness, the anxiety of what's going on. And I just think it's so exactly. And like, we have to face ourselves. And it's something that uh, I got from from this movie and, and what I know about, you know, Grace and Grid. And I think that there's this huge parallel of confronting whatever it is that we need to confront right now head on. And we have to be scared of it. We have to feel these things. But on the other side, what 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 is there? You know, what more is there to this lesson that we're going to be learning? And I think, um, I just think it's such a beautiful story, man. I, I cannot wait to see, to see this and, and uh, experience that's a, this. That's a, a wonderful analogy. Um, because what was interesting is that uh, initially, when this thing happened, there were, you know, you know, agents or distribution, you know, power, wonderful distribution companies I was discussing with, who initially were like, I don't know, this thing's pandemic's going down. We just want to make people laugh and be distracted, right? Mm. You know, that's what we want, you know? And I was like, I don't think so. I don't think that's the temperature in the room, you know? Yeah. And um, it seems like want, a short sided. Yeah. People want to laugh for a little bit. Out. Yeah. People really want to know. I mean, that's, people don't go to, uh, you know, there are churches that are fun. There are synagogues that are fun. There are mosques. There are prayers. There are, you know, beautiful rituals in all religions that are fun. People don't go every week or multiple times a week because it's fun. You know, they right. go because they want to understand what's going, what's really going on, the difference between what's happening and what's really going on. And, you know, that's what a great love song does. You know, we all listen to Marvin Gaye, for example, you know, and you hear those songs as a kid and you're like, the groove is good. And then you grow up as an adult and you, you get your heart broken and then all of a sudden those songs mean something else. It comes on the radio mm. and you're like, ah, you know, you're just crucified, right? <laughs> you know, that's like, I, I think that the interesting thing now is I've got different all of a sudden out of nowhere. I mean, literally in the last week I've had just like some different agents and, and, and distributors reaching out saying, hey, we're really interested in, in this. You know, like, you know, people are, are looking at, you know, because I think people want to address content in that way you know you want to get in your car i was driving the other day uh, to go for a run outside and um you know i was listening i have a range of different music and you know sometimes something will hit you that's really soothing and upbeat you know you're listening to like mm. you know 
you know, the, the that great Lionel Richie song, you know, you know, yeah, party, Kamala, fiesta, but it's great. But then yeah. you also hear a little bit of the Tupac, you know, that that edge, you know, that that which says, mm -hmm. look, take me, I don't care, you know, kill me if you have to, right? You know, and then you also want to mm -hmm. hear the that that song that that takes you to tears, whatever it is, you know, yeah. whatever the song is, you know. Um, to be awake and in touch with all those things is the only way that we have firm footing. Uh, and when I say firm footing, I mean, if we're only touching part of our foot here, we're off balance. Yep. If we're in touch with our emotions that are both joy and sadness and tragedy and hope and exhilaration and meaning and depth and purpose, then all of a sudden we're firmly planted in this emotional life as a being you know and i think that's the that's the role of what music and, and movies and books do for us as human beings yeah and in that regard laughter is just for the moment what you've done with this film all the emotions coming to the table it's so much more deeply captivating for such a longer period of time and i think and i know a lot of people out there today a lot of our listeners are gonna really enjoy something like this you know something different mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you, man. Did you uh, uh, do you guys like Terrence Malick? Like any of his films, he did like Thin Red Line or Tree of Life or Oh, Tree yeah, of Life. Tree of Life. Uh, yeah, and it's in that feel for sure. Just soul touching. It's crazy. The only you know the only constant going on right now is this change that you're talking about, right? It's like there is no other constant. We we don't you know 2020 started off in a whirlwind, if you will, if, if, if you consume things like the news, right, you're going to have a perspective of this. The constant is all of these negative things. You know, you don't hardly see the good things on the news, but you know, Kobe Bryant dying, uh, world war three apparently happening with, you know, uh, Iran. And then you've got just, it's, it's just slew of, of, but then, you know, if you don't watch the news, your perspective is much different. What uh, what have you seen lately going on with this pandemic uh, from in terms of perspective? What are some beautiful moments that you've seen that just you were like, wow, this this needs to be told? Um, you know, what's interesting and it's um, it's an abstract answer, but it's sort of this collective drive to find out. Uh, truth, right? And, you know, truth is always changing, right? It's always forming, you know, even science doesn't deal in truth. It, it only barters in epochs. It only barters in what's true for the times. You know, we look back and there was a time in science when the atom was the smallest measurable unit. That is no longer yeah. true, you know? We, you know, if any of our parents were in, uh, you know, college, if they would have written that on a paper, it would have been True. You know, there was this sort of, I think my father, I think, was at Berkeley at a point, and I think one of his, um, was it, oh my God, I'm blanking on the professor's name, this iconic professor, and he said uh, the, the uh, final exam was say something, uh, make a statement. If it's true and interesting, you'll get an A. If it's either true and interesting, you'll just pass, you'll get a C. Hmm. If it's neither true nor interesting, you'll fail. So that was it, right? And I think he had said, or his friend had said, the atom is the smallest measurable unit that exists. Mm -hmm. They got an F. That's now an F. 
right? Or a C. <laughs> interesting but not true, you know? And so that's, that's, you know, that's <laughs> interesting but not true. <laughs> right? you know, that's, that's um, you know, and that's, that's truth, right? And so I think in terms of looking at what's going on to see, you know, at some point people have got to figure out that the news is entertainment. What's amazing is that we all care for someone who takes the news seriously. You know, and there are amazing news outlets out there that will give more truth and less entertainment. And most of the news outlets are all entertainment, this much truth, liberal and conservative, right? I mean, it's all, these are businesses, you know, and they are businesses. And the irony is that a lot of these conservative or liberal news networks are run by people who are not in line with their, with their thoughts. They don't care. They just want to make money, you know, some of them, not all of them, but some of them. Um, and there are amazing reporters working at those places, amazing human beings at every, every single one of them. But most, for the most part, right, the mainstream news is just entertainment. It is not, you know, um, there's this great, with the, I guess it was like, you know, you think of like, who was the last, when was the last time that the news felt the obligation to inform? And there have mm. been many, some books written about that, but when is that, like Dan Rather, you know? Maybe even going back before him. I mean, we're going back pretty far, you know, to when uh, before us or when we were little kids, right? The news was had an obligation to inform people. Now, you know, and I, I think that this Roger Ailes made a statement. He was the founder of Fox News where he said, you know, our job as, as, a, as a news network is not to inform people. People don't want to be informed. People want to feel informed. Right? That's a huge statement about what the job is, you know, of the news. People want to feel, in other words, you want to turn it on, you want to go, ah, oh, my thought's right. <laughs> you know, this <laughs> yeah. guy's horrible. Or this woman's bad, or this woman's horrible. But this is what, and people just buy into it. You know, they, they invite into their home via the television or the, whatever, the, the phone or via the thing, who they're comfortable with. We can't do that anymore in a world of 8 billion people. We have to invite in people we're not comfortable with, people we admire and respect, but the, maybe we don't understand them at all. It's important to have those discussions with those people. That being said, what is interesting is to see people looking for those things. There are amazing outlets, tiny little news outlets all over the world you know, that are reporting stuff that is a little less entertainment and a little more news. There are amazing documentaries about government, you know, um, you know, Dirty Wars is an amazing documentary by Jeremy Scahill. I learned an enormous amount. Mm. You know, even talking back, you know, segueing back into where we started, uh, JFK, that, that movie blew me away, you know, from not a person who's a news person, but a person who's just a storyteller. But it just made me think about, well, we have to be free thinkers, you know. We can't make these assumptions on the conservative or liberal side. We have to really be free thinkers and think this is a complex puzzle on so many levels. And if uh, corruption comes when instability, you know, opportunity and instability meet complicity mm. and confluence, you know, there's a lot of things going on that are very, obviously this virus is real. We want to attack that on a biological level, but now people are finally coming to see that that's only one aspect of it. And it's the smallest aspect of it, right? The repercussions on all these other levels are so much more profound, yeah. you know? And when you said earlier, you know, you look at, uh, the divorce rates going up, you know, around the world, people are packed into a house that already is under a strained relationship. Let's say you've got mm -hmm. one, chi one child with a, 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 a disability of some sort, and there's a financial pressure in the house, and maybe there's a pressure in the relationship between the two heads of household, right? And then now they're told they can't go hiking, 
right? And then now yeah. one of the is laid off. And now and then now you're saying, okay, well, the only thing that's open is weed stores, alcohol, and pizza and sugar. They did it right. That's all we need. Let's yeah. Let's get all our food from seven eleven, you know, and so you look at that's a so you know, that's 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 a that's a recipe for disaster. Mm. You know, and then you look high up the food chain, you look at people who are mandating things uh, you know, across the board. You know, the, it, it's overwhelming for them, too. So we have to take that into our own. It's our responsibility as individuals to say, OK, I'm going to go, you know, I'm going to spend time in the sun, you know, uh, and be this. I'm going to take, you know, multivitamins or eat spinach or whatever the thing is. I mean, whatever the thing is, I'm going to hug someone who's close to me who I, you know, if I live alone or whatever the thing is, you know, I, I'm going to, you know, we have to make those decisions out of care for everyone, but also out of care for ourselves. Because either way, stepping forward in a world of 8 million people, there's going to be death and there's going to be pain. There's going to be challenges. we got to reorient what are those challenges and let's accept some of those challenges and go forward in a way to still make it as joyful and as wonderful, you know, as possible. So that being said, uh, you know, to put a button on that is what's beautiful is to see people wanting to seek out this truth, even though most people right now, you know, people regress in times of crisis. And, you know, a lot of people are regressing. And they're becoming, you know, mm. polarity is really splitting. People are becoming more extreme. Um, but yeah. the good news is what happens next is eventually people are going to be like, all right, I can't live this extreme for too long. I just can't cope. You know, and eventually, yeah. you know, childbearing is tough. You know, a woman is like in all this insane pain. You know, there's good news coming, but it's going to hurt for a little while. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you, know, there's, you know, there's, there's no, uh, you know, the good news is there's a, uh, there's a resurrection happening. But right now we're in the crucifixion. And so instead of like trying to fight it off and fix it real fast, let's get in the groove with that crucifixion. Let's say, all right, this is going to hurt and let's allow some of that pain in as opposed to being righteous. And I think that the challenge is that you've got two, you know, kind of extreme, uh, you know, extreme defense mechanisms that kick in evolutionarily and people are responding to those evolutionary responses. And we have to stop doing that. You know, we have to go out of our way to do the exact opposite, you know, to to, to wave at people, to do kind things for people we don't know. You know, that used to be something that was saintly. Now it's, it, it's, it's a requisite for living in the world today. You know? Good. It's so amazing. It's, uh, you know, we know we're running a little bit over, um, man, this has just been, I want to pick your brain about every darn thing we've just talked about further, but, uh, man, kind of on that last note for this episode, we always like to hear it called action podcast, leave our, our listeners a way to take away something from our guests and you, you know, with meditation background. We didn't get into that this round, but you know, you have 20 plus years of meditation studies, uh, teaching all of these, you've, you've engulfed yourself into psychology of, of the human soul on top of everything else you do. What are some, you know, a few key takeaways for our listeners who are the entrepreneur whose dreams are potentially being crushed right now because the momentum is just stopped, right? Or you've got that struggling actor, or actress, you know, desiring to, to, to get into what you've accomplished and are continually accomplishing, or simply someone just struggling to find inner peace. You know, what, what would you tell them right now in 2020, April 23rd? Uh, what, would, what would you want to tell them right now? Mm, from, for me, it's, everything has been about focus. 
Um, you know, as you're describing it, it sounds like I do a lot of different things, but they're all very closely aligned. Everything relates to consciousness, right? And it's in the world of film, psychology, meditation, but it's all closely interlinked. You know, it's all storytelling in one way or another. So I don't do anything outside of that. I mean, I do some, but I stay pretty focused. You know, I don't let myself get distracted. You know, even as you and I have done so many one, we've had so many wonderful days exercising and pushing it to the limit, you know, and all the things that we've done, it's always really about consciousness. It's about saying, how do we push the thing past our, what's the breaking point? How do we get lost enough to have fun finding that breaking point and then have fun when we get past it? Then we've done it. You know, we don't count the reps, mm. the sets, the whatever the thing is, the hills, the whatever thing is. And I think now more than ever, we've got to really be, and, and if anything, this pandemic offers an opportunity to refocus. Because if somebody goes home and they've got a number of hours and they're like, if they're just distracted, which most people are, because that's where the mind wants to go. You know, the ego speaks first and loudest. Oh, that's cute. That's attractive. That looks tasty. You know, that's why you go online. You're like, why are all these people posting photos of food? You know, like I have my own food. I don't need like someone else's food because that's where people feel good, you know. But instead of getting those little hits of feeling good, saying, okay, does this align with what am I really doing in my life? You know, and, um, uh, you know, instead of picking up the phone and FaceTiming with someone who we maybe aren't as comfortable with to connect with someone different, new, picking up a book and making a commitment and saying, I'm not going to look at the computer or the phone or the news or whatever until I'm done with this thing. You know, so uh, I know for me, the only thing that I'm, and I don't, you know, and it's not, I don't have, I don't feel that I'm, I'm qualified to give any kind of advice, but I do know that if I didn't have a sense of focus that I would be totally lost because I'm, I, I love to consume the world. I love everything. If you told me tomorrow, let's go climb Mount Everest, I'd be like, let's do it. You'd be like, it's going to take a year to train. I'd be like, gosh, well, let's fit it in on Tuesdays and Thursdays, you know, and then you'd be like, well, yeah. you can also swim from you know, the Molokai channel, I'd be like, let's do it. You'd be like, well, that's going to upgrade. You know, I want to do it all. But at some point I say, well, all right, maybe I'm not going to be able to swim the channel, but I'm going to do Everest, you know, or whatever the thing is. Right. You know, I, I, I think point doom, you know? Yeah. I think that, you yeah, know, start that. we're doing it. It's happening. <laughs> yeah, we are. You know, I think it's, you know, you know, death is one second around the corner, you know, rebirth. Yeah whatever that that sweet goodbye is one second away you know so why screw around you know why not really say all right what am i what's the what's the thing that i want to wear here you know what's the what's the i don't want to get engage in this amen to that my man that is solid where can our listeners find you on social media your website or uh, look forward to seeing you in anything in the near future. Let's let's plug Sebastian Siegel right now. Hardcore. <laughs> I don't use a lot of social media, but I do. I'll use Instagram. I don't post too often, but it's uh, Sebastian Siegel, S-I-E-G-E-L-1. And then um, Twitter is just Sebastian Siegel. And um, the website for the film, graceandgrit.net. Um, and then my own website, it's... Um, you know, it's just a basic, but it's got a million links of, from, of all the things I've done from yeah. books to music, rap music videos to, uh, trailers and free dive. And I saw you on Lil Wayne's, yeah. uh, music video not too long ago. That was badass, man. Playing into that 007 kind of feel. I loved it, man. What for our listeners, which uh song was that? Video for Tap Out with Wayne and uh, Nicki Minaj. Kind of a big deal. 
It's a cool one. That was cool, man. He's cool. Yeah, he's great. Wayne's great. <laughs> the man, the myth, the legend, brother. Thank you so much for coming on this episode of Call to Action Podcast. Can't wait to uh, get you back on here, maybe in the next month or so, and uh, just recap, see what, and maybe we can dive into something else. But thank you so much for your time, bro. I love what you guys are doing. Thanks so much for having me. And if you want to show support, smash that subscribe button on whatever platform you're listening on. If you're watching on YouTube, leave a thumbs up, thumbs down, comment. Let us know how we're doing. We want honest feedback from UC Tappers. And if you're feeling extra positive, head over to whatever audio platform you're listening on. Leave a five-star review if you feel like we've earned it. It would mean the world to us and would be a great deal of support. And one last note, we do have a call to action podcast app on the iOS store. Head over, download it. We're showcasing a new bit of technology we've been playing with and get all the notification and updates for all the cool new episodes we've got coming your way. And I'm your host, Ben, with Call to Action Podcast, Command Q.